Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Reiner Stolt, the Flower King, way back from 1994. And we'll be playing a range of tracks from Reiner's wonderful career here on the show today. Welcome, Reiner. Thank you very much. And uh, you've also got a new album out, Waiting for Miracles, as well? Yes, we're actually waiting for the album. Not only for Miracles, but we're waiting for the album. I think the album is, if I remember right, is well, beginning of November on the 8th or something like that, I think. I'm not sure about worldwide, but in Europe at least. I mean, we opened with the, the Flower King from 1994, which started as a, a solo project. And obviously we're, we're closing with Miracles for America, which is from your new album. Can you see that musical thread from the sort of the, the inception of the Flower Kings to, to the, the current day? I suppose there is. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't really think in those terms, you know. I mean, you do what you do, and mm. you you play what you play, you play your style. But I mean, over a period of twenty years, of course, there will be influences coming in and out, you know. And and you're getting older and wiser, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> the way we create music is, I would say, similar. But uh, again, as I said, there's a lot happening on the music scene. And not only in in terms of the music, but itself, but also in terms of all the the, the technical stuff, you know, in in the way we record. Yes. Because when I record, recorded the Flower King, I recorded it on a tape, a reel to reel tape machine. Mm. And now everything is uh, digital, and um, we're recording with computers. So. It's um, a completely different way of, and I mean, the limitations you had when, uh, for instance, when I recorded the first one, I had 16 channels of analog, mm. and, and now we have basically without any limit, you can you can record as much as you want. You can just layer stuff on top and and mix it, you know, in, in the in a in computer. So that I think the big change as far as the music uh, can I see a thread probably lies in, in, in that case since I am together with Hasse the the only remaining members from that very first album is probably in the way we sing in the way we're, we're playing and uh, in the case of the writing of course the sum of all the influences that I've picked up over the years you know since I was a kid mm-hmm. Anything from folk music to when the Beatles came along and, you know, all the the rock revolution with Jimi Hendrix and King Crimson and all that. So um, you pick up stuff, you know, and then you learn and then you uh, sort of uh, learn to uh, listen to different kinds of music, you know, and and, uh, accept and, and get into stuff and learn to love other types of music over the years, you know. All of that can be heard in where we arrived now with Miracles for America, or uh, Waiting for Miracles, sorry, <laughs> Waiting for Miracles. Mm. Lots of miracles here. <laughs> but uh, um, I think that that, mm. uh, that album reflects the past 20 years, or really the past 40 years, maybe, of, of musical influences. One of your signature tracks, and, and what people, many people know you for, is uh, Stardust We Are, from which was I think about three years after you know, the you know the first Flower King project and um, lyrically do you, is that a song about mortality? In a way, it is. In in a way, I wouldn't really, I, I wouldn't really sort of say it's at, at the time when I wrote it. It's let me see that that would be almost 
20 years or even more than 20 years ago. Must have been like almost 25 years ago. So I was a younger man then, and now I'm getting older, of course, like everyone else, unfortunately. But I think it's, yeah, that kind of reflection on, on mortality is not a bad description, I, I would say. It is, life is what it is. We see our, we see when we're kids, we see our parents, they're young, you know, and I, I just the other day I was thinking about my parents, you know, and they were, they were probably my my sons, I had two sons, and they were probably their age, you know, when, when I sort of, when I was a kid, you know, I started realizing, oh, that's that, that, that's mom. And I saw them, you know, as grown-ups, but then now I realized, well, they're, they were the age of my kids, and, and suddenly, I mean, they're old, and, and uh, my dad is gone now. My, my mom lives in a retirement home, and everything goes so quick. You got to make the best of everything. That's, I think, that's the the lesson we have to learn. You know, to uh, take every moment and make the best out of it. You know, and try to be friendly and try to be nice to everyone. You know, because that's that's what we leave for the next generation. You know, to remember about us and who we were. And in my case, I'm I'm lucky because I I'm in a band and I. I produce albums and we release them in the worldwide and uh, so I will I will leave a mark in a even if a small way not in the the same league as people like David Bowie or Paul McCartney but still you know there's music that's been sort of passed around the globe and we've been doing concerts and stuff so it's I'm thinking I'm I'm I have this privilege of of being able to to sort of fulfill my musical dreams and and write music, record it, and release it, and have it circulate around this globe and have reactions from people all around the world, and even go out, play it live. So it's, it's fantastic.
Look for no tears in my eyes Singing all sweet lullaby I made a heart of stone That I can call my own Remember the days on the shoreline The sun made a surface go blind Once painfully crept Between childhood and fame Set the wheels in motion 
The Truth Will Set You Free from Unfold the Future, which I think was um, 2002. Typical of one of the Flower King's sort of very, very epic tracks with shifts in uh, styles and, and sounds. Do you see yourself as the, the leader in the, that creative process? How, how, how do you, you go about shape, shaping such a, an extended track like that? Well, the, the reality is that once you start working on a theme that you like, because I mean, normally I would say I, I write in sort of in shifts. I, I write maybe for two weeks, you know, and then I have that will generate, could generate anything from the few themes. It could generate like one and a half hour of new music. Not, not saying that one, one and a half hour music that will be used in the end, but just like uh, sketches of music. And and then if if I go back listen to that after say two months, then I realize what bits I really like. And when I have those bits, I I try to sort of uh, get rid of the the fluff, the the bits that are not that interesting or resembles a song I've written before or resembles a song that someone else has written. So I just try to trim that off and and get to the core of of this new idea. But once I have that, it's it's just like I, I would rather say it's not a problem to create an epic, uh, say twenty five minutes or thirty minutes. It's rather uh, uh, problematic to try to trim it down to something <laughs> that that's not too long, you know, and it's not repeating itself. And because there's always uh, when you're starting up, you have you have like at the beginning of the song, you get to uh, some nice theme, and then you have a, a verse, a chorus maybe, and uh, uh, some interplay between the keyboards and guitars, and and suddenly you're like eight, nine, ten minutes into a song, you know, and then all these ideas, crazy ideas, just keep popping up, and then you get into a very weird or strange zone where the more you write, the more the more more ideas coming up hmm. because there's so many avenues that you can explore, you know. I, I come to a point when I need to sort of sit down and say, I gotta I gotta shave that off, I gotta take that bit away. Maybe we shouldn't do this, maybe we should try to stay focused here, you know, and uh, try to get to the to the core of the song, you know, and then wrap it up, you know, which is also kind of problematic because there's always something, you know, oh, maybe we should put this in or maybe I should take that theme again and make it bigger and, and have this kind of orchestration. So there's got to be a point where you say, stop, no, no, this is. Hmm. So I'm, I'm def- definitely not in the uh, category of people that are struggling to write things. I'm, I'm, I'm rather in the category of people that probably should uh, trim a little bit more of the songs uh, because ideas are 
there are plenty of ideas, you know, and I work on a daily basis. When, when I work like that, I get up in the morning and uh, I work from nine o'clock maybe until late evening. So there's plenty of time and there's plenty of ideas and it just goes on and on and on, you know. Do you think lyrically The Truthful Set You Free was a kind of a statement about the media or what was written about you or people in general and correcting that? Uh, it's difficult. I mean, you have to remember this is almost 20 years ago, so I I, mm. uh, I would lie if I say I remember exactly what it was about, you know. And, and mm. once you take the songs to the stage and play them many, many times, sometimes I go back and reflect, oh, maybe... What did I mean when I was writing this? What 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 was the idea, the general general idea? But you know, uh, the idea I think was that there is like the truth, and then there's the truth that could be the written truth, you know. But that could be that could be false. That could be just lies. Anyway, you know, there's nothing really nothing that says that something is said on the television set or or in the news. As you know, Fox News is fake mm. news, all that shit. Mm. So, I mean, if you if you read it in the newspaper, there's always an agenda. There's always something behind it. There's always some people behind it. There's there may may be uh, uh, lies or half lies or ways to get away with things that we think the general public shouldn't see or shouldn't know. So that's that's the kind of world we're living in now, and we're fed with this and. And um, but then there's the the absolute truth, you know, and and that's that's nothing that you can fake, you know, because it just is. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it in in another way, but and 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 I mean we we know it. I mean now, I mean I mean just look at America. I mean we have this big liar, you know, he's lying mm. today, you know, and he's tweeting, lying, and <laughs> so. This is the reality, you know, and it's even even more, I think, today than than like twenty years ago. But I mean, we've seen it over the decades, you know. It's uh, you don't trust the trust the person just because they're dressed up nicely and sitting in a TV program telling something, you know. It, it doesn't mean it's the truth. Mm. Or if you're a politician, you know, yes, you can be a politician, but that doesn't mean that you're honest what should be labeled the alternative mm-hmm. truth or something like that. So I guess that, that that was probably the starting point for that lyric. But again, I have to say it was a long time ago, so you tend to forget not only the music, because I, I forget the music too sometimes. And we have to, If we play the songs live, I have to go back and relearn the songs, you know. It's uh, it quite, uh, you know, it's a big body of work that, been released by the band over 20 years so so it's a lot actually
Right. 
next track is uh, The Black Forest by Agents of Mercy. Can you tell me about that project? Because... And your role on that, because you weren't actually on vocals on, on that, certainly on that track anyhow. No, uh, I think uh, Black Black Forest, I mean, that album and the other Agents of Mercy albums was something that came about because I, I've been, we've been out a lot with the Flower Kings and doing many albums, etc. So I just wanted to take a break because I felt we weren't inspired anymore. So I just, I was at home and I, I was, still writing songs and then I was thinking uh, about releasing something but I'm thinking oh if I start singing on this now this will be like the Flower Kings but it's not the Flower Kings mm. but it's my songs and I'm singing that's too close to the Flower Kings so I, I came upon this Swedish singer Nad Sylvan who had a really nice voice and uh, I was thinking I should contact this guy and see if he can sing on a couple of songs so that's how all, all started, you know, and uh, uh, and that was the album, The Fading Ghost of Twilight, and then with another one called Drama Rama, and then we did The Black Forest. Mm. So Black, Black Forest is ab- album number three. For me, it was great to step back and just be the guitar player, you know, and, and writing songs, of course, but Nat also contributed with, with songs and uh so it was very much a, a project between me and Nad, and then we had Lalle Larsson, who is a fantastic keyboard player, and uh, Valle Wahlgren, who's a great drummer, and Jonas Reingold from, from the Flower Kings also. Then uh, after the third album, Nad got a call from Steve Hackett to join his band, and he's been in Steve Hackett's band now for five years, or so six years, I think. So uh, Agents of Mercy was something that was three albums and I'm I'm happy with all of them but I think in particular Black Forest is is the band sounding great and great songs and great production and everything. Do you see that as a, a way that um, you could, could kind of express a, a bit more of a heavier side of your guitar? Uh, I don't know I didn't I didn't think of of it like that uh, really from the beginning that was not the intention mm. it was just I mean uh, this particular track Black Forest mm. and a few of the songs of that album are just a little bit heavier but I have that side it's it's just like it's, yeah. if you listen to some of the Flower Kings you can actually go back even to the very first album where there's kind of a bit of riffing but for whatever reason it's it's not like I'm planning to do anything specific or or let's add some metal riffs or or let's Hmm. play some more acoustic or it just happens you know it's very much i think a reflection of uh or uh, you know because i'm 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 a lover of many different styles of music you know i i love lots of folk music so i love the acoustic guitars and acoustic instruments and i love jazz and fusion Mm. so i love that kind of you know Hmm. all the great uh, Shikori and Weather Report and, and Keith Harris and all yeah. these guys, you know, I think it's fantastic music. So you have that side and then then I have the more symphonic side and then I also love blues. So I love all, all hmm. great blues, old uh, blues guitar players like Peter Green and and some of Clapton's work and these kind of guys. And I think probably... Every now and then you do something that sounds a little bit different. And in this particular track, I mean, Black Forest happened to be uh, kind of riffy, which I enjoy, you know. 
and, and, and looking mm. at the riff side or the the metal side, I probably came in to metal from from the beginning from Jimi Hendrix, uh, and then uh, of course Deep mm. Purple and Led Zeppelin. These were the bands before there was any Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or these guys, you know, or Anthrax or these kind of of, of metal bands. There was the sort of the big uh, late '60s metal bands like. Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, you know, they started the, the genre, so to speak.
Our next track is another side project, if you want to use that term, which is from a similar period, I think, 2009, Transatlantic and uh, the Whirlwind album. And, and that's known for, you know, uh, your collaboration in particular with Neil Moss of uh, Spock's Beard. How did you get to work with Neil? I think we met in Los Angeles because we were playing with the with Flower Kings at this festival in 1997. There was just like, you know, a bunch of people. I think Neil was playing with his band, Spock's Beard. At the, maybe not the same day, but he was playing the same festivals. I was just walking on stage and walking up to my mm. amp, I think, for a sound check or something like that. And then suddenly, just behind my amp was Neil Morse. And he, at the time, had very long hair, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> so he really looked like a hippie. And he just stood behind my amp and then suddenly started singing a Flower King song, you know. There is more to this world, I think. He just started singing the chorus and, and smiling. At me. Well, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> hmm. uh, and then he said, oh, hey, man, I, 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 I just love this track. You know, I heard your albums and, and I really love it, you know, and I have it in my car, blah, blah, blah. So we sort of struck some kind of a friendship there and Later, he mailed me, and I, I got him some addresses for gig places in Europe because he wanted to take Spokespear to Europe. So I, I helped him with that. And, you know, from that point, we had contact on and off. And then I think it was actually Mike Portner who sent me an email because he heard Flower Kings also. And uh, so he sent me an email asking if I wanted to join this pro- new project he had with together with Neil Morse and the guy from Marillion with the bass player. And yeah, sure enough, uh, a couple of months later, we were in the studio in USA recording the first album. And we haven't even met, so <laughs> it was fun. I, I always tell people, well, that was a weird recording because <laughs> once we step in the room, the first meeting, I had met Neil before, but I hadn't met, met Mike. I hadn't met, met Pete. So when we stepped into the room, that was the first time we met. And about one hour later, we were already tracking the first song. So that's kind of a, a bizarre uh, way of starting a band, you know. But it can be done, obviously. In terms of the, the Whirlwind project, was that, um, was that Neil that actually crafted much of that what was your role in that creative process oh you you mean the album as yeah as, no not really it it's um i i think we we should give credit to everyone even if if mike doesn't really write any mm. chords or melody he's also very active in in pointing out what bits you know uh, mm. he likes or, or we think he, we should use so I would say, and, and I mean, uh, Neil and I are the main writers, but Pete also writes stuff for that album. Mm. So I think it's a, very much a collaboration, you know. It's um, And I just, mm. today, just about an hour ago, I returned from recording of a fifth album with Transatlantic. So it's, oh. very, yeah, it's very fresh. Brilliant. So the process is very much a collaboration between everyone and then we try to discuss how to orchestrate it who should sing what and etc etc and sometimes it could be like the band are jamming and then you know I go back to the hotel and I write some lyrics and I bring it the next day 
O'Neill goes to the hotel and he pick up the acoustic guitar and he comes with a new idea the next day. Or we have the tapes, of course, that we have recorded demos and we listen to them and we decide what bits we like from each and everyone's tapes. Well, I would say the whirlwind is, is very, very much a collaboration uh, where the first very first album was more like we played All of the Above, which was Neil's song and uh, My New World, which was my song. And then we play the Procol Harum song, I think. But but nowadays it's more like we're really patching together bits and pieces from from everyone and ideas and lyrics from everyone. So so it's a collaboration.
Just going back to 2016, hugely well-received album and your collaboration with John Anderson, Invention of Knowledge. What was the process for, for getting to work with such an incredible mm. musical figure as John? Well, I think uh, in the end, I, I think I had I had done, done something. We, we had some friend we both knew and he was working on something. And I, I remember he sent me something that, John was working on and I just put some guitar on it but that didn't really sort of generate any any music that was released on the album but about maybe two years later I think uh, the idea came to I think there was a record label that said you should you should do something together with John Anderson I think uh, the boss of our record label said uh well, well ronnie you're the right guy to do something john should because at that time john had been ill so he was kind of thrown out of yes you know because they wanted to continue and tour and he couldn't because of his medical condition you know he couldn't really sing that well you know and he was mm. he had issues health issues so he, he was just trying to get well and and come back to music and uh, I think my record label said that uh, you, you are the right guy to help him do an album, the album he should do now, you know. And uh, at the same time, I think we also did uh, one of these cruises that they have now, you know, um, uh, Cruise to the Edge. Yes, a cruise that's going every year. And there was another one called Progressive Nation. And and I was playing with the Flower Kings, and we were playing with Transatlantic. And mm. then someone came up with the idea that we should ask John to to join as the final act of of the cruise. You know, uh, so we were a- aiming at playing maybe three songs, yes, songs together with John. And and in the end, and then I I remember one 
one morning I opened up the email and John sent something out. Oh, how do you feel about playing side one from Topographic Oceans? <laughs> hmm. I felt like, oh, wow, uh, that's that's a bit complicated. But at the same time, I realized that Topographic Oceans was something I listened to when I was can't remember, maybe 14 or 15, and I listened to it, and I had this album, and I played it over and over and over. So, sure enough, we actually did this set together with John, about an hour of music, you know, on the boat, and uh, and from that point, I think the record label started pushing me again, and say, oh, we should, we should really try to realize this project with John, and... Uh, a mail was sent to him, and I think he responded within just within hours and said, "Hey, hey, send me some music." So we just started working there and to see where we could go with with some of the demos he had and stuff I could add to it. And uh, it took a while, and in the middle of everything, I was asked to be the bass player in Steve Hackett's band. So I had to sort of put everything on hold here, and and I was almost for a year I was out touring with Steve but so it took a while to get the album the invention of knowledge together you know but it was okay and over time I think also John got better and better uh, as far as the health so it felt like uh, by the end of that that period uh, when we recorded uh, he, he was sort of back again to where he could sing like he did back in the day you know with Yes so that was a nice experience. And I mean, for me to work with John and to get to know his ideas and collaborate and uh, just doing this was great experience from every point of view, actually. Mm. I mean, given how um, successful it was creatively, do you think that the doors opened for collaborating again? Oh, absolutely. I think, and I hope, and and in fact, we did we did already start a second album, but it's halfway, I would say, mm. probably like uh, thirty or forty minutes of music, but uh, there's some more to be written. Brilliant. Because in the middle of everything, you know, I mean, in, when this ha- this happened, you know, we released Invention of Knowledge. They already decided he was he was well enough to start singing live on stage again. So him and Rick Wakeman and Trevor Rabin decided to let's go out and play while we're still alive, you know. <laughs> so they, they wanted to go out play yes songs, which they did for. And basically, I think it was probably the same same time I was out with Steve Hackett. Partly, yeah. that's life, you know. We we do other things, and and then he uh, he had a friend realizing uh, an old recording called Thousand Hands. Uh, that's just been released with something that was started maybe 20, 25 years ago. Uh, he finally got that album finished too and went out recently and played it live. I mean, we're we're in the middle of all this, but at least we have started work on a new album and I think the songs are great and I think in particular his singing is much stronger now. So so I, I have hopes to to finish it. I can't tell when, but... When time permits, you know, we're in the middle of everything. I'm out with the Flower Kings and now Transatlantic comes up. And so uh, we'll see. I have hope.
that you always want to know. Speaking of the world of understanding truly is, you never go as far as knowing all that is, all that is. They shall begin the lesson of forcing out the fear of See.
now we have the sea within and a broken cord. And was that was that a group which had some of the Flower Kings band, some of the musicians added into the mix? Ah, uh, that that's only Jonas actually, the bass player from Flower Kings. Uh, yeah. So so it was actually something that also came like an idea from the record label, which may sound a li- little bit odd, but sometimes it's like. When I, I, I've been on this record label for so long, so these people are my friends. So it's more like I talk to a friend and he says, oh, you should put together, you know, play with some other musicians and put together a band with people you like. And so that's how that started, you know. And me and Jonas, we looked at it and we, we've been talking to Marco Miniman, who is a phenomenal drummer. And uh, over time, you know, and, and he's... I mean, he's one of those standout guys, I think, when it comes to drumming today. Yes. So full of ideas and, and uh, energy. And uh, he was just one of the guys that we said, oh, we got to play with that guy, you know. And Tom Brislin, of course, who was also on the, uh, on the Anderson Stolt album. So we knew him and uh, we wanted to do something more. So we put together a band and we wrote songs and we released the album, but we haven't really played we haven't got a chance to play it live, partly because of Jonas was out with, with Hackett now. And uh, uh, Tom Brisling got a call from Kansas to join them. So mm-hmm. so it's sometimes, you know, uh, that's the way life has some surprises in store. And, you know, suddenly you're somewhere else or you're in another band, you get an offer, you know, that you really can't refuse. And so The Sea Within has been an album that's, been releasing one album but we haven't really taken it to the live stage yet I would say Lost my red 
You can feel it. Something's wrong. Something's broken, but you carry on. All that was magic. All that was real. Rising above superstition. Nothing is given, but you carry on. Day after day, you just keep on running. Time after time, you just get it wrong. Day after day, you just keep on running. Life coming through trauma and 
Something's wrong. Something's broken. Something's gone. All that is legend. All that is real. All in this circle just got to heal. Nothing's taken. Nothing's given. Our world is shaken by greed and pettiness. Life is just this rhythm from an endless source. From the beginning of it So now we've got there, it's that final track, Miracles for America, from the latest Flower Kings album, which is due out in November, the album being Waiting for Miracles. Can you tell me more about, um, you know, the writing and recording process for this album? Am I right? It does feel a bit harking back to some of the, the, the 90s feel of, of the group? Yeah, I think that that was probably the intention that, we were looking back, you know, like uh, in retrospect, you look back at the albums and, and you have some favorite albums, which in my case would be Start As We Are, uh, Unfold The Future, maybe some of the really early albums like Retropolis, perhaps. And I think these are strong albums and they are, there's something about them, you know, that's full of ideas and life and uh, very distinct style, Flower King's style, you know. So I was telling the other guys that I'd like us to experiment more, to try more different styles, try to not sound like other bands, uh, find find our own, whatever that is, you know, in our playing, in, in incorporating the Swedish folk music, whatever. 
So so be a little bit more less concerned about record sales and just do whatever feels right. That's what I think was the intention, you know. And then I, I really can't tell if we if we got there in the end, but that that was the intention. So a little bit more craziness and a little bit more crazy sounds and ideas and uh, variation, I would say. And um, that was the mindset going in. And we wanted to also record it in a way that was more like old school. So we, we got to a studio here in Stockholm in Sweden. It's a studio that's more like, I would say, uh, geared towards the old school 1970s 60s 70s way of recording you know with with old uh, older mixer desks and microphones and real instruments like grand piano and mellotrons and Hammond organs and Verlose pianos and old tube amps and stuff like that ah. just to try to create the the sound or the vibe that we we love, you know, that we think it's it's not about perfection because perfection anyone can do perfection. Mm. It's just uh, that's just a like a matter of time, you know. You can spend a lot of time and and polish your recording and edit it to bits, you know. But we wanted to go in as a band and actually play it together and uh, with all the artifacts that comes with recording, for real, you know, with bum notes and weird sounds coming out of that. So so that was great. And I mean, the other thing is that the, the studio is actually owned by one of the people from ABBA, the keyboard player ABBA. So Benny's, uh, all his synthesizers and mellotrons and stuff from the old ABBA recordings are in there, you know. So we got a chance to use some of that and his fantastic uh, grand piano and all that. So you know, it was, and it was in the middle of the summer, so it's it's beautiful in Stockholm, you know, and you have all the water and uh, the sun was shining and really happy time for us being there, creating together with the new guys. Yeah, we're really looking forward to see how the audience will react on the new album and go out and play some of the songs, etc., etc. So have you got um, a worldwide or European tour to, coming up to support Waiting for Miracles? Oh, yes. Yes, we're going out in uh, in. It's not a very long tour, but I think it's like twelve shows, uh, mostly in the northern parts of Europe. Together, Kayak, who is a band from the from the seventies, a band I a Dutch band I I um, I knew of, uh, and I have a couple of albums. So it was great to sort of reconnect with that, you know. And uh, uh, the keyboard player was also in Camel for a while, you know. But uh, they're back with Kayak now, and uh, I heard some of, of the stuff, uh, live stuff, you know, on on YouTube or something like that, and it, they really sound great, sound fantastic live. So it's it's a double bill, you know, like an equal double bill, both bands, and we'll see how that goes, mm-hmm. and then we can carry on next year with more, perhaps in the southern parts of Europe, you know, that we haven't, like France and Italy and Spain and Portugal and all that. And we're going to Japan in uh, end of January and, uh, well, Canada, back to Canada and um, possibly to South America next year also. So so there's lots lots coming up on the live side of it. And um, 
hopefully start planning for next recording because that's something you you have to start plan for that you know well in time so i would imagine either late next spring or early summer we go go in and record more music in that tour that you mentioned there's there's a date in london on on the 8th of uh, december so hopefully uh the UK-based listeners will, will will get down to see that show. So basically, yeah. in summary, um, there's absolutely no end to your uh, creativity here, uh, Reiner. Oh, ever pushing on and, and producing sort of wonderful, progressive, melodic rock music. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I do. I can't... Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't really just sit around, you know. There's no way I could just rest and i mean unless i'm on vacation then i can completely i switch off you know and just rest but when i'm back home it's like there's always like a, ideas coming up and something i need to do or or mix or or live stuff i have to get in and polish or mix and fix so so it, but it's it's wonderful because this is what i love doing and and i'm thinking i'm i'm so grateful you know in general, because I can do this, you know, and I'm thinking of people who have regular daytime jobs, they may not like that much, but I love my job. So mm. I'm one of those people that are, should be very lucky, and I am very lucky. And that links up to something that you said, I think, when you were discussing uh, Stardust We Are, which is about making your mark on the world, and you've certainly done that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, take care. Thanks so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Enough.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's been almost 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.